Hi, and welcome to Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. I'm Jeremy Wartzman. I'm Bianca Bremen. And I'm Lara Chan Baker. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast from the Jackie Winter Group, which is a creative production and representation studio based in Melbourne and New York City. What originally started as a business conference for artists and fellow creatives is now being turned around to shine a light on our clients. From art buyers and creative teams to fellow producers and managers, this podcast is all about offering a glimpse into the work we do as a bridge between clients and creatives. It's an ongoing exploration of how to wrangle the creative process to achieve excellence no matter what the medium. This week, we're excited to go a bit sci-fi. For everyone who has any interest in the genre, whether from fine art to video games, augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence are not particularly surprising or new. Of course, we are super interested in the applications within creative processes, as well as the commercial side of things. This is a pretty big topic, so we're going to devote the whole episode to it. We're excited to get into some AR, VR, and AI. But first, of course, just checking in, how are we all going? Really good. I just uh, smashed an egg and bacon sanger in under a minute and I feel gross. <laughs> Bianca, how are you? Hey, I mean, I feel like that's about the pace that we've been working at these last couple of days this week. It's been crazy. So crazy. I feel like you- I'm running on adrenaline. Yeah. And bacon, which you accidentally ate. Yeah, I did accidentally eat bacon for the first time in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get started with uh, things that have been going around our professional development Slack channel. There's a few links that have been interesting. The one that this is a funny one because I've actually seen not just one site, but a few different sites doing this where they're um, collating and uploading startup pitch decks. This one that we're looking at is from a site called Deconstruct. Um, yeah, this is, this one is really interesting. I know that, Laura, me and you were both really big fans of the uh, NPR podcast, How I Built This. And, you know, th- they often kind of talk about when they're kind of going out for their first rounds of funding and things like that. And this is a site that actually kind of collates these actual pitch decks for you to see, which I, I don't even understand how they're there in the first place. That's kind of one thing I, I'm kind of interested in finding out. Yeah, I had a look at a bunch and, and they're, like, um, they're often on slide shares and a lot of them seem to have been posted by the company themselves saying like, hey, this is where we started. I think it's just part of putting their sort of origin story and their success out there. I love it. I mean, one is from a branding and design perspective. I love kind of seeing what the raw kind of brand was, like someone like Airbnb when they were air bed and breakfast, for example, just totally. kind of or, that um, look and feel. I thought, like, yeah, it is really interesting to see how far they've come and how things have changed once they actually go into market. Like Tinder was originally called Matchbox and you were going to be able to see two matches for free and then pay a dollar for every new match after that, which, I mean, like I would never use that. <laughs> Not that I use it now. What? <laughs> but I mean, I find... I find it fascinating because, I mean, mostly working in illustration, we don't do that much pitching, but like for years as working as an animation producer, pitching on big budget TV commercials, you know, you never actually get to see how other studios present themselves to like sort of have this huge resource of pitch decks. Some, you know, some of the most successful startups in the world. It's fascinating. It's like a goldmine. Oh, yeah. And, but look, that's the thing as well. Like we're trying, like we, we're pitching all the time. And even though we might not put in, be putting together and other businesses or kind of small creators might not be putting together big things, you can take some elements from these and I think put them into your practice somehow. I love that companies are kind of getting more transparent with this information. Like Basecamp put their whole kind of HR guidelines on GitHub, which I thought was great. And um, it holds them accountable as well. Oh, and um, Steam put like kind of their employee onboarding um, handbook as well. well. I haven't seen that. Yeah, so there's a few of these things going around. So yeah, really, really like that. The second one is one that came up from, I think this was from our first episode where we talked about the DPM-ish um, newsletter. Um, this is 
just such a phenomenal newsletter. It's, it's in our show notes from our first episode or second episode if you can't find it, but this links back to another article from 99U about email is for setting expectations, something that we talk about a lot. Laura, is there any particular point that you really responded to in this? Yeah, I thought this was really fantastic. Um, they start by saying, you know, how email unread or, or read um, but not replied to can really take a toll on your happiness and productivity um, and that it's so hard to stay focused on your sort of goals as the emails pile up and you've always got them in the back of your mind. Um, and it's particularly true if you work in an environment like we do where there's an expectation that you'll reply to email really quickly, you know, while you're still getting creative projects done. Um, and they sort of talk about how the way to balance that is to just send a quick response email when you get the when you get their email, send a response saying, I've got this basically. And then whatever caveats, I've got this, I'll get back to you later in the week. I've got this, I just need to review it properly, blah, blah. So that at least they know that you're um you've received it and you're not wasting their time um, needing to chase you up, but you're also not increasing that guilt and that constant fear of what's gonna happen when you eventually do respond to them. It's really clever. I like I remember Jeremy, you actively training me to do this more and more. Um as my role got more and more intense here and it's been such a lifesaver. I mean, definitely it's still something I forget to do sometimes. It can be easy to fall into that trap of um, not responding to an email because you don't quite have the time to deal with it yet. But they're totally right. It's infinitely better to at least send something saying, yes, I've received it. It's on my list um, so that it's not stressing you out further and it's not stressing them out. I wonder what the stats are on like actually how much email guilt is affecting our health. Well, there's that whole thing with Reply All's uh, email debt forgiveness day where, you know, oh, they, yeah. or you can take one day to kind of, yeah, just kind of clean slate. Exactly. No apologies for the delay. Um, it's funny that the flip side of that article um, about something else that um, came up on my radar that I was across <laughs> that uh, we had a oh. powwow about that we should action about moving Again, the goalposts. You came across this one, did you, Jeremy? <laughs> was it you? I, th- I thought I said it's we. It's your wheelhouse, yeah. Jeremy. This is definitely your wheelhouse. <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a Vice article about other dumb things to stop saying in the office, especially saying going forward. And I, this was so painful to read because <laughs> I say all of these things. Me too. And it's like towards uh. the end, it was just funny because we were putting this together and there's a whole paragraph here on man- like with managing expectations and the text goes, want to know something? This is the business equivalent of saying we plan to continue to disappoint you and we need you not only to be prepared for that, but to also remember not to say anything about your disappointment for fear of looking unrealistic and derailing the systems in place. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, I'm a big offender of all of these and as I was reading it, I was just like, I'm a douche, I'm a douche, I'm a douche. The one I, um, I really hate though... And I, I don't do, and I totally agree with the, the writer, Izzy Beach John, um, is the moving the goalposts one. Um, so she says, saying that you're moving the goalposts is the most polite and esoteric way of saying that you have changed your mind after realizing your original practice was incorrect or non-functional, and you now must move the goalposts in order to actually do the thing you set out to do without admitting you fucked up. People love a good sports euphemism. Makes them feel like they're fostering the team they insist you're a part of, all the while making a difficult task sound like a fun, sunlit, we're all friends here day in the park. This isn't a job. It's an adventure you guys <laughs> i couldn't agree more touching base is is the the mm, worst one i say, I say it 50 I say times it a day all the time I'm just I, touching base oh it, it's so gross when you think about it even more but like yeah it's i don't know but it's i need them so one that i that i get a lot here is like nice to connect like it's great to connect with you well it's, it, that's a really tricky one because you're always trying to say like well if you're being introduced to them over email it's like you can't say nice to meet you nice to e-meet Ni- you oh god <laughs> I think nice to make your acquaintance. Yeah, I get uh, from people nice to make your virtual acquaintance or nice to virtually meet you. Hello, Lara. Uh, 
<laughs> look, I, I, I think it's that funny because well into our topic. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, look, I, these these are some interesting things because it creates some kind of kind of shorthand. And I guess like yeah, that's the thing. We're trying to write these kind of short emails, and sometimes these words and phrases are just used so much that um you know that it creates. I guess sometimes some better understanding, but sometimes I think when they're used too much in the wrong context, they can get devoid of meaning, and that's where they kind of sound a bit terrible. But I think it's good to acknowledge the uh, <laughs> the corporate the douchebaggery. Exactly. <laughs> As an experiment, just very quickly, but I did actually think about like how I could use corporate buzzwords to plan dinner over text message. How did that go? Hey, I thought I'd reach out so we can deep dive and disrupt these Friday night dinner plans. Do you have the bandwidth to ideate? Restaurants are your wheelhouse, especially spots on the bleeding edge. I'll be out of pocket after 6 p.m., so let's synergize. Oh, my God. God. That's amazing, Bianca. That is fantastic. Wow. You really shifted some paradigms there. Getting into our topic of new technologies, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence are huge and widely spoken about technologies with the potential to really add to or even shape creative expressions, as well as the commercial side of art and advertising. But before we explore all that, let's just start with the basics. So, yeah, what are these things? Um, B, get us started. Augmented reality. Let's kick that off. I mean, that stands for... Well, AR stands for augmented reality. Um, And that is the integration of digital information with the user's environment in real time. So unlike virtual reality, which creates a totally artificial environment, augmented reality uses the existing environment and overlays new information on top of it. So AR enhances one's current perception of reality, whereas in contrast, virtual reality replaces the real world with a simulated one. So basically, yeah, we, we've experimented in some, I guess, more basic elements of AR. When we launched our branch GIF horse, we had a show in the gallery where we're using AR tech, where basically, yeah, you, how AR works simply is that you kind of set a marker, which can be any kind of image. And then once your phone kind of picks up that marker, um, it can display content kind of on top of that and interacting with that. I think um, the reason that's been, well, one of the reasons this has been in conversation lately is with iOS 11, the new um, Apple mobile operator system. They're developing their own kind of native tech called ARKit um, with some potential kind of hardware um, improvements coming out of the new phone as well that will make this tech, I guess, a bit more um, a bit more available and mainstream. And I think, yeah, the, the, we're kind of seeing this all really kind of along we're really kind of on the bleeding edge where these these three particular technologies are very kind of separate yet are kind of starting to converge in lots of interesting ways and i think one one thing we're really trying to do as an agency is making sure that we're actively experimenting and working with them and we've already worked on some really interesting we'll we'll start with ar some really interesting ar projects um our sugar mountain project um, we'll we'll link to that in our show notes as well just kind of showing a really interesting commercial application there yes, that was a music festival where they basically had big sort of prints and stage decorations and stuff up all around the festival that people could then interact with using augmented reality. Exactly. Those are the markers and pe- with people's phones and yes. using the app, it would, they would kind of, um, they could interact from there. Um, but yeah, B, what other kind of commercial applications have you kind of seen, I guess, specifically for AR? Is there anything that I guess 
called out to you during your research? Yeah, I mean, this was this was tricky. I, I mean, Pokemon Go is probably the most mainstream example of augmented mm. reality in, in action. And, and that, I think, uses a combination of GPS and actually looking at the environment in front of you and then and then affecting the screen in front of you depending on what's what you're actually looking at so that's not so much you know like actually um placing markers and it's evolving it more from i guess what you were speaking up about before where you're having a marker and you hold up a device in front of that marker and something reacts this is a little bit more like actually moving it into the real world environment and throwing things out into the world i mean i think we've all seen pokemon go before but I mean, I was, I mean, I was thinking about this episode and I was looking at AR from like an art and entertainment perspective. And, you know, apart from really the viral success of Pokemon Go, I did kind of struggle to find interesting, engaging examples of AR used for, you know, entertainment. Um, you know, someone like me, like I'll kind of preface this by saying that that I prefer to go to see theater and live music over watching film and television. So a lot of the examples that I found. So sophisticated, oh. Bianca. I tapped into my group text of like creatives here and I was like, hey guys, does anyone have any like, I was just like hoping someone would send me like a really cool example of AR being used in like art or entertainment or advertising, but it all kind of felt a little bit tokenistic and a bit of like a hollow novelty. But in saying that, I mean, Jeremy, you did touch on this, like, I guess the most exciting thing that that has happened this year that I do think really has like the potential to accelerate the development of this technology and lead to more interesting and engaging applications and actually bring the technology into the creative process, as opposed to just being kind of like a an embellishment on top of or trying to enhance something that's already there is AR kit. So that was, that was unveiled in June. It's actually Apple bringing advanced AR capabilities into the phone that everyone uses every day. So, you know, up until now, the tools and technology have been quite limited, but Apple, are, like, you know, they're the, one of the biggest tech companies in the world and they are investing some serious cash here. And like, I guess, given how accessible and widely used the iPhone is, the opportunity for actually accelerating this development by democratizing the technology is huge. And that's exciting. And there has been some, you know, interesting examples like this week. In particular, there was the most recent example um, doing the rounds, which actually used ARKit was from a Chicago-based ARVI studio called Trixie, who created an augmented reality version of AHA's iconic music video for the song Take On Me. Do you guys know that one? I know the song. I haven't seen the video. Really? Yeah. Jeremy, so young. The original video, I think it premiered in about 1985, um, and it features hand-drawn sketchbook-style animation interacting with live-action footage. So this took back then months to create. Like, it was all rotoscoped animation. Trixie's loose adaptation to kind of see if they can create like uh, an AR experience of the video took only a few days to develop using AR kit. Um, I mean, stylistically it's, it's nowhere near as charming as the original, but it's, it is kind of fascinating to see like 
you know, in a very small amount of time, how a relatively small developer studio has been able to create something that works and in an environment so quickly. And I think that that's exciting. Mm, absolutely. I'll be touching on VR in a bit. But yeah, the, the hardware side of things, I think, is really the biggest challenge here when it's going to kind of tip over. I think it's kind of very similar to kind of QR codes in a way where I think you know, QR codes came out, I don't know how long ago, and they were kind of just considered a bit of a joke because, yeah, you had to go through this whole kind of process to actually use them. But now they're really kind of, I guess, pivoted in this way. I don't know if you've seen the new Snapchat and Facebook Messenger kind of circular QR codes that you can scan to get people's handles or whatever in. Mm. Um, And again, I think it does take a really big investment in making it more of kind of a seamless part of our life to, to, I guess, give the push to develop that further. And that Pokemon Go, people, I mean, people looked at that they kind of just saw dollar signs and now there's kind of a huge rush towards well, yeah. it Yeah, I mean, well. I think it is like exciting that, you know, Apple has has made this investment, um, you know, like the, the CEO, Tim Cook, like I think it was the thing that he was most excited about when he was, you know, talking at the developers conference. But I mean, I think, you know, it is still in its infancy and none of the examples that I've seen that use AR kits so far have been particularly revolutionary. The fact that, you know, it's going to be baked into the iPhone, like, and, and into millions of devices around the world. Like, I think that that is a turning point for it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. Like, I, I think I'm a little bit more interested in maybe like the practical applications of like how it's actually going to be used to enhance our lives as, as opposed to just kind of like how we consume or view media or art or entertainment. But I don't know, either way, I'm interested Well, that I think is a good way to lead into talking about VR because that may have some more practical applications. Yeah. I mean, yeah, VR is kind of my um, pet at the moment, as opposed to AR, which is taking the existing reality and augmenting it by putting something on it. VR, you are fully immersed within the world, typically within, um, within some headsets, putting you in a closed environment. So the leaders in this tech are HTC, which is a phone company that teamed up with Steam, the game company, to come up with the Vive or Vive. Uh, there's also then Oculus, which is now owned by Facebook. Oculus and Vive are kind of the two main players here at the moment. The main difference between them is that with Vive, it has room tracking, which means you can actually physically move around the environment. Um, Oculus has this, but in a much more kind of limited way where you, you, you kind of have to kind of be a bit more stationary. PlayStation has their own um, VR component. And then you've got the sort of economy versions like the Google Cardboard. Google Cardboard and Daydream, which is kind of, you know, a bit more baked in with the kind of Android universe. So, yeah, it's just like AR, which is more kind of baked into everyone's kind of tech. Um, VR requires, I guess, a bit of an extra step in requiring more devices. I think I first immersed myself, pun intended. (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't intended, actually. I I first um, got into it when I saw Jess Johnson's exhibition at the NGB called War- so Wormhouse. Amazing. So she had been working with some developers, game developers and sound designers in New Zealand and created this show. Um, well, well, it was part of the show kind of being in the work. And as soon as I kind of put the goggles on, this was done in Oculus, it's like I got it in a second and I knew this was at the one time going to be the most amazing thing that's going to happen to us as creatives and people but also kind of one of the most dangerous like as soon as i put it on and realized how much i was there i it was like oh my god this is this is going to be dangerous never want to leave <laughs> um 
so yeah, that's kind of, that was my first experience, and also I mean, yeah, be what you've been saying about how VR is impacting the fine art world as well is amazing. Um, Artsy, one of my favorite sites, um, reading about I guess what's happening in the art world is is writing a lot about this as well. And in recent kind of fairs, like I know in um, Art Basel Miami, they've been doing lots of more VR work down there and seeing the I guess it's it's a perfect platform for fine art. And I, as an illustration and animation agency, kind of really finding that line between fine art and commercial art is kind of what we're always doing and that's what I'm so interested in kind of seeing okay well what is the commercial application here for this and you kind of see I think from in the film and live action world like if you read campaign brief or any other kind of industry blog it's every other month a traditional production company is transitioning into um, adding AR and VR or 360 capabilities and on campaign brief I was just reading that Luscious Films is the most recent one to add a dedicated VR offering and I think yeah from an advertising perspective it's like well you're in a screen and you could put even more screens within that screen you know once you're in this other environment you know you're completely um, endless ads exactly so I Obviously, there's going to be, I mean, the, the the platform and the medium is kind of there. And and so we went ahead and we got our own Vive kit or Vive. Right. <laughs> We're <laughs> we, going to figure that one we out. We need to figure that out um, as well as with um, GIF or JIF. So, yeah, we got our own kit and we've just been taking it around to our clients and getting artists in to kind of work with it. Not because we kind of like know what the commercial application is, but we're, we want to have the conversation. And it's funny, one of our clients, um, when we took this over, said like, so is, I think they thought Google was paying us to kind of do it. <laughs> I and, wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of one. Like Google has been, I guess, one of the leading forces in developing the software side of things as well. So um, the two, well, the first major one that they put out was called Tilt Brush. Um, which is basically what it kind of sounds like. If you're using the Vive, you have kind of these two um, controllers, which I don't know actually why it's called kind of tilt brush. There's not a lot of tilting. You can tilt your hand to move it. It's basically a 360 (laughs) virtual space where you can paint. um, And it's mind-bending. And I think one of the things that's been great to show to clients when we've been demoing it is they've done um, a tilt brush gallery. And so we'll, we'll link to all these in our show notes. So basically, you can get any artist can draw or make an environment in tilt brush and and Tilbrush actually records it, and you can go play it back. So, for example, like James Jean um, did this with Semi Permanent. It was amazing. He did this gorgeous kind of horse, and you could go into Tilbrush, and you can kind of see him kind of create this. And be within the 3D space. It feels like you're Absolutely. physically within this environment that he's creating. It's incredible. So for live live art and activations, which is a big part of what we're doing, um, you know, there's definitely kind of some potential in that. Google, we talked about Google Blocks as well in a previous episode. You can check that out or, or watch the show notes on that, but it's kind of the same as Tilt Brush, but with 3D kind of blocks, basically working in kind of a more 3D sculptural space. So yeah, in addition to kind of live art, there's also, when you talk about kind of, I guess, mm, gallery, fine art, also kind of placemaking, one of my favorite applications to come out in the last year is the Giphy Loop Dreams show um, for Absolutely the Museum of Giphy Art. Just a phenomenal exploration where, um, you know, apart from the fact that there's some of our artists in that, which is a great <laughs> way to kind of see, you know, how the, how the work that we do translates into these other spaces. Um, yeah, Loop Dreams, they did this kind of show at a gallery space in New York City, and then they kind of took it and made it into this kind of virtual, rap, literal rabbit hole that you kind of keep kind of falling down, <laughs> which in, in our VR space, we didn't have large, like, there's this one scene where you need to kind of crawl into like this little cupboard to get to. We had to crawl under the we had printer. We crawl under the printer to get to it. <laughs> to get to the next level. It looks very strange for anyone else watching 
<laughs> on the flip side of that, there's also the VR Museum of Art. So people have been making 3D models of famous sculptures and paintings for you know a while and putting them in the public domain. And someone kind of took that, made a virtual museum to interact with those works. But like from an architectural perspective, so a lot of our um, a lot of design studios who are kind of working more in placemaking and in developments, um, you can kind of get into an architectural model. And a lot of our 3D artists who are creating these wonderful 3D environments, Karan Singh, for example, he started kind of creating his work so it can be exported in SketchUp. And that's what, remember we did that once? We took kind of his sketch, we exported, and we were able to kind of interact physically with his work in VR. So yeah, these have been ways that we've just kind of been teasing it out at the moment. There are still lots of other things that you can't do and is kind of really limiting. The hardware factor is a big I guess, barrier there. But again, things are accelerating so quickly that that is definitely going to change soon. And for bigger companies, that's less of a barrier, like for companies rather than individuals. Well, it's still really hard because like, you know, at the moment, you you it's a very isolating experience that only you can kind mm. of be in. Getting There is a social media platform called Rec Room, which is really great, which is everyone's trying to see who's going to be the next kind of Facebook of VR. One thing, B, you didn't touch on in AR in terms of the flip side of what Apple is doing, Microsoft has developed HoloLens, which is a um, AR kind of device, which kind of it has a screen over your eyes, and that's where it kind of places the AR content. So it feels like a much more natural integration. And that's where I think things are going. Everyone, there's, it will be a point that AR and VR kind of will converge. And Bring I think back Google Glass. <laughs> well, that's a funny thing that you mentioned. Google Glass never went away, and now it's being used in in the in more kind of technical and factory, um, you know, these enterprise environments. So. Yeah, it's, there's so much things happening. I, I think, yeah, if you're a client or a, a creative, no matter what kind of side of the fence you're on, like these are things that you need to be kind of researching because they're going to be impacting us in big ways. And I think, yeah, one of the biggest ways they're already seeing is with artificial intelligence and AI. Um, Laura, what have you found out about this in your research? Yeah, look, um, AI or artificial intelligence, it's a really, really tricky thing to actually define and uh, most experts have actually given up on coming up with a very sort of succinct definition. But basically for many, many years now, we've been uh, able to get computers to broadly automate tasks um, that programmers could describe with clear rules and algorithms. But modern machine learning techniques basically enable now uh, us to do this with tasks where it's not so easy to describe precise rules for a computer to follow. Um, and essentially it's about making computers smart in the way that we consider each other smart. Um, and that is, you know, we can talk and understand each other. We can see the world and work out how to move within it. We can learn new behavior like uh, knitting or playing basketball by watching other people and so on and so forth. And researchers have been trying to endow machines with these sort of human capabilities for a very long time. But now more than ever, we're moving into the early stages of an era where AI is being incorporated into all sorts of software. And it's a trend that will definitely continue to unfold, not just over the coming months or years, but, but decades. And um, so it's a very basic outline. Most modern AI follows the same pattern. They process big amounts of structured data for training. So based on that data, they're able to make predictions in real time. And then algorithms apply judgment on what action to take, which is also very basically what humans do every day in every decision that they make. Um, so the more advanced AI will then observe that outcome as well and feed that back into their training data to learn new things and, and expand that data set. So for example, you gather a bunch of pictures of cats and another set of pictures without cats and you feed those pictures through the machine learning algorithms and given enough data the algorithms can eventually learn to distinguish from um, you know cats from any other image and in most cases they can do this better than humans um, and researchers are pretty stoked about the modern AI approach because it seems to have applications across so many many 
different areas, working to solve all classes of problems. And it's, it's a really exciting time. The first thing that I'd point out is that AI is certainly not just something for researchers or, or tech dudes. Um, it's something that is becoming absolutely ubiquitous in our modern world and something that can and very much will have benefits and impacts on people and you know in all industries and positions, including us and uh, probably you guys listening out there. Laura, what effect is AI having on the advertising industry? Well, I mean, the ad industry has long been obsessed with understanding human behaviour. So the ability of AI systems to take these vast amounts of really complex, ambiguous information and transform that into valuable insights is really appealing. I mean, if you think about the nearly like 2 billion Facebook users around the world, billions of tweets shared every year, the tens of thousands of Google searches processed every second of every day, uh, location data from mobile phones, transactional data from credit cards and, and on and on. It all adds up to an enormous amount of data. And when machine learning algorithms are applied to these sort of never-ending streams of digital information, we can really intimately understand the motivations of almost every consumer. And it's, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And it, it really does... Um, open up an ethical can of worms, but you can't blame the advertising industry for diving headfirst into this technology. I mean, it definitely sounds like some kind of terrifying science fiction movie, but it's it's very real and it has really interesting implications for the future direction of advertising. Um, yeah, so one of the main things I was looking at when um, thinking about how it's impacting advertising is um, how AI is sort of taking over repetitive tasks. And this is the kind of thing that's been happening for years, it's sort of like industrial revolution and stuff. But things like, um, you know, monitoring media mentions, um, it's something that, it, you know, that AI can do while leaving the truly creative work to humans, or at least for now. <laughs> <laughs> but algorithms like this are already foundational to programmatic advertising, which is, you know, basically using machines to buy digital ad space, um, as opposed to the traditional process that involve like RFPs and human negotiations and, and manual insertion of those ads. And um, they'll likely only grow to be a bigger part of media buying. Um, Dave Snyder, who's the executive creative director of Firstborn, he said um, he reckons that some of the first people who will lose their jobs because of AI will be marketing managers. Um, you know, if your job is really to move numbers around a spreadsheet, optimizing it based on what's performing well, well, then the computer's going to be way better than you and faster. But, you know, the interesting thing to look at is can AI replace the creative process? And, I mean, you've got agencies like McCann Japan, that rhymes, <laughs> who developed the world's first uh, artificial intelligence creative director. Do you remember this? Thank God. <laughs> Don't say that, Joe. We really need them. Um, but basically the machine, which is called AI CD Beta, um, was designed to give creative direction for commercials. So the team, like, deconstructed, analysed and tagged a huge range of TV commercials, including the winners of various big advertising awards over the last 10 years. And they mapped and tagged each of the elements of the ads to help the machine determine what made them successful. And so the machine is supposedly then able to mine this database and use the info to direct the optimal commercial for any given product or message. Um, and the idea is that AICD Beta will actually be assigned as a creative director to real client accounts responding to actual creative briefs, uh, which is scary but interesting and you know Isn't i can this going to be like when they when they i don't remember what uh, someone made a twitter account that was going to just tweet organically based uh, on what other people super were, were anti-semitic <laughs> yeah, it <was> yes <laughs> it could totally backfire and look at this stage um or we'll have to post a link to that because it's funny um you know it it needs a lot of like human uh supervision at this stage but i think yeah we are very much in the early days i don't think it's we're far off correcting those sorts of errors <laughs> and 
you know, I guess whilst we, we usually rely on the intangible experience and know-how of human creators, the goal here is to provide clients with work that's produced through logic-based creative direction grounded on past TV commercial data. Um, they actually pitted the AICD against a real-life human creative director, this guy Mitsuru Kuramoto, to create an ad for some mints. Um, and the final two spots went up against each other in this like nationwide poll. And fortunately for Kuramoto, um, he did win the public vote, but only very narrowly at 54%. Yeah. So, I mean, although it is a bit of a gimmick at this stage uh, rather than a practical application, the experiment definitely demonstrates just how creative and funny AI can be. Um, and, you know, from a creative perspective, AI is definitely now being used to create original music, visual arts, screenplays and all manner of, of things. So it'll be really interesting to see how it develops and how some creatives will sort of use it in tandem with their creative abilities, human abilities to actually further enhance their own work. That's really interesting. Have you found any other examples in, in art and advertising at all? Yeah, I mean, we come across AI in our everyday lives all the bloody time, you know, with things like Facebook uh, face recognition, um, even Netflix streaming, Siri, uh, Gmail's smart email filters, etc. Um, but there are some particularly interesting uses within advertising. Um, you know, in the interest of giving someone else a chance to speak today, I, I just picked out a couple that I thought were particularly intriguing. Um, most recently, there's MNC Saatchi's outdoor campaign for a coffee brand in London. Did you see this? No. What was that? So, um, supposedly, it's the world's first artificially intelligent poster campaign. Um, so, the digital poster sites basically display different ads that evolve depending on how passersby react to them. Um, so, essentially, they work by using an algorithm that tests different executions based on the strength of their various features, such as copy, layout, fonts and images. And by installing a camera above the posters, MNC are able to sort of measure engagement with the ads based on whether people look happy, sad, neutral, how long they spend looking at it. And the ads sort of evolve and change based on these reactions to develop statistically stronger content. Um, it's, it's weird because it comes up with some weird ideas that a human would never put out there but I think that's kind of the interesting part of it as well um, but definitely still a way off it becoming something that's really actually practical and not just in like a publicity gimmick um, but the next example I thought Jeremy you would particularly enjoy seeing as your Domino's biggest fan in the whole entire world um, <laughs> wait do you mean Domino's a technology company that happens to make pizza that's the one I sure do Jeremy thank you I sure do thank you no earlier this year Domino's announced that they're now an AI first business yes. which um, you know and they launched a bunch of innovation geared around AI technology. For example, they launched an AI voice-controlled robot that allows people to order food using voice, as well as a Facebook Messenger bot that sort of uses AI to better serve customers with appropriate deals. And I think it's really interesting how the CEO of Domino's is approaching um, this shift. Uh, there's a statement from him that reads, it's not just for fun, it's not just a toy. We're not just throwing innovations out there like darts. In 2017, Domino's is going from mobile first to AI first. From this year on, we will be developing all our platforms with a view to engaging with AI and machine learning first. And I think that's really, really fascinating, the way that companies are shifting their mindsets to be focused on AI. And, um, and lastly, this example isn't the sexiest, but I think it does play right into everything I was talking about earlier. Um, JWT Canada are working with Thunder, which is a programmatic platform to change digital ad creative on the fly, basically. So their focus is particularly on regional and pricing information, and they plan to use AI for their airline and bank clients um, to dynamically change parts of ads, such as someone's location or, or the price of a flight, whilst still using sort of the one idea across video display and audio ads. Um, and, I mean, targeting specific markets isn't new by any means, um, and it's something we've been able to do for decades. But 
What's different, I think, is using data signals to figure out if who you're talking to, um, you know, is a traveller who's trying to go to London as opposed to someone who's going to Miami and doing that all in real time. Uh, and, you know, and the kind of this kind of thing shows how creative agencies are increasingly taking on the work of media buyers with things like targeting. You know, there's still a human setting out the strategy and vision, but the execution in the long term can be sort of 100% handled by a robot. And I think overall, I feel pretty strongly that Every person in every business, as you said, Jeremy, needs to be actively exploring how they can leverage these technologies and in particular AI to help them improve their processes and offerings and, and look at what other companies are doing with AI and see how it could potentially relate to your own. It's still very much the early days for this AI revolution, but I think the time to get on board is now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot to digest. I think. Sorry, all, yeah. <laughs> there's the, so much to go the re- into the, here. There really is a lot. I mean, all of these things have such broad implications, uh, especially from a creative perspective. One thing I've always kind of thought about illustration as well. It's like you know, it's something that always, is just always done by hand, um, and you can't replace the humanity in that. But of course, Google comes along and <laughs> figures something out. Um, I know it's that scary. there was a conference the other day where, um, not the other day, the other year where they were doing um, people feed in photography and then you have this kind of you know robot draw you know a kind of I guess algorithmic interpretation of that photo but like yeah there's a website you can do it it's so fun and terrifying and even the more recent one which I think is definitely more AI orientated I forget the which one this was from Google but basically you know you draw a rough approximation of something like you know a star and you know then it would um, replace that with you know a drawing of of course an artist actually had to do the drawing of it. But the more people that use it, the more the sort of machine learns about how to recognize different items. And that's on that note, um, yeah, there is a website called AIexperiments.withgoogle.com where Google have collated a whole lot of, um, yeah, these really interesting artificial intelligence experiments that anyone can play with. They're just sort of different websites and stuff, including things like Google Draw. Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes. Ending as we like to every week, we go into the most Melbourne and most New York thing that's happened to us this week. B, what do you got? Oh, mine's fitness related. I was um I was at Prospect Park the other day and this woman was in her fitness gear and she was multitasking like I have never seen anyone multitask before. So she was pushing a pram while talking on the phone while she wasn't like walking or running, but she was skipping. And then like I looked back at her again and she was pushing her pram, talking on the phone and kicking her legs up in the air. Wait, kicking her legs yeah, up in the air? Yeah, she was just air? like, she was like, step, kick, step, kick, while she was like walking and talking on the phone. <laughs> Sounds like she needs yeah. some AI. <laughs> also, I did actually last night at the gym, I saw a guy walking backwards on the treadmill, which I thought it was pretty funny. Oh, God. On like an incline or decline? No. That should be mostly good like, for you, just though, right? Just straight, just going backwards, just, you know, just changing it up. Jeremy uh, got a treadmill for our new office, a treadmill desk. How's that going, Jeremy? It's going great. You, nev- you never use it. Moving on, Lara. <laughs> What's the most Melbourne thing that happened? You could qualify oh, that as a pretty Melbourne thing. Mine's just a gripe. Um, it's just a typically Melbourne gripe. Yesterday, it was like, it was warm enough, at Bianca. I wore a dress, bare legs. I went outside, I was warm. And then today... I like if you put your arm out in front of you, it's so misty. You literally you can't see your fingers. Anyway, I just wanted to complain. Someone fix it for me, please. Jeremy. 
I don't really, I don't have anything specifically Melbourne. So I went to my hilarious shit email folder to see if anything kind of came in in the in the week. And, and because we get all kinds of interesting kind of, it's like it's kind of like half spam, but half like you know maybe they kind of know what we do, but maybe not. But this was for us. <laughs> this is for some weird sales conference, and it was a very serious pitch. But then I looked at the domain name of who was pitching it, and it was a company called Salesgasm. Oh, do, you remember, do you remember when this came? I in? remember. <laughs> Look. If anyone from Salesgasm is listening, kind of no disrespect. I know you were trying to operate a um a, a, a legitimate business, but you with that name Salesgasm, and it's like you look. We at could the, be Jackie Wintergasm. No, oh. take that back. That is filthy. Look, Laura, we should touch base about that. Laura. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's a good yep, <laughs> point done. to to take this offline. Um, thank you, Bianca. <sighs> thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jeremy and Bianca. (laughs) This has been Jackie Winter Gives You the Business. Jackie Winter Gives You the Business is a weekly podcast about creative project management and production and just making things happen in general. Our producer is Areej Noor. You can find the Jackie Winter Group on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jackie Winter. That's Jackie with a Y and Winter like the season. And you can email us with any recommendations, feedback, questions, or comments at podcast at JackieWinter.com. I should mention that we had some really phenomenal feedback in the past few weeks. Like we're really loving the emails, um, Facebook we messages. We would like more, though, please. We would, we would love more. I mean, this is great. Like, we are here to serve, and we really want we prefer to... prefer praise, but... <laughs> <laughs> critical feedback. Comments and critical feedback are okay as well. We'll get to that in our next episode, actually. But yeah, if you have anything that you do want to hear about, please let us know because, yeah, we love researching these things and we love um, talking about them. Um, so, yeah, drop us a line, podcast at JackieWinter.com. Archives of all of our shows and our show notes can be found at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz as well as a sign-up for our weekly newsletter to be notified when new episodes come up and to get all the show notes in your inbox if you can't be bothered listening to our beautiful voices. Our theme music is by Melbourne-based musician Jackie Winter. You can check out his amazing music at soundcloud.com slash Jackie Winter. If you love what you hear, you can really help us out by subscribing on iTunes, rating us, and commenting too. Comments are what gets us noticed. So yeah, please leave a short note about what you like. Details are on our website at JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week. Bye-bye. Visit uh, JackieWinter.GivesYouThe.Biz while you still can. Where's it going? Well, before a robot does it for you. (laughs)